Hey, a couple words before I jump into today's sermon. This week marks the beginning of our community groups for the fall, and we know that this has been such an odd time. Uh, even to consider becoming a part of a community group may feel like you may feel uncertain about that. And we want to just encourage you, if you look on our website, ctkraleigh.org groups, we have a list there of all of our groups. Our groups are located geographically in different neighborhoods all around the city. They're all open groups. You can contact the group leader and find out more about the specifics of how the group is meeting and uh, answer, ask all your questions. They can give you all kinds of answers about how the groups are set up. But we want to encourage you to take a step. We know that lots of us feel really displaced and isolated. And that's just been sort of a new fact of life for many of us. We don't want that to be the normal. And so we want to encourage you to take a step in this next week and investigate being a part of a community group, whether for the first time or whether you've kind of dropped out. Come on back. We'd love to have you. We're going to look this morning at John chapter 9. I want to invite you to read with me. I'm looking at John 9 verses 1 through 17 and then 35 through 41. Listen as I read God's word. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but a man like him. He kept saying, No, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind, and it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees, again, they asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. And then the last part of this passage. They cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see... 
your guilt remains. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our fortress and our redeemer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This spring, the actor John Krasinski of The Office fame, who is also famous for his role as Jack Ryan, created a YouTube channel and, and, and show called Some Good News, or SGN. Some Good News went viral almost instantly. Uh, within just 12 hours of uploading, the channel had hit 1 million views, and the channel, even though it's been dormant since May, still has 2.6 million subscribers. And, you know, I, I thought about this. I wondered, um, and I wonder if you watched this, what made this such a big deal? What, what, made, what was the secret of Krasinski's success? Well, one thing is clear. It wasn't production value. I mean, Krasinski did this show in his house with a low-budget camera with his kids drawing the logo for SGN on construction paper. Uh, it wasn't his guest list. I mean, he had some celebrity cameos, but for the most part, lots of the guests were people who were having their 15 seconds of fame. These were normal people, just like us. You know what it was if you watch the show, don't you? You know, if you watch the show, here's what was the secret of success. It was compassion. You know, it was his stories of normal people doing extraordinary things that demonstrated compassion. It was the FedEx driver who, on his route, was delivering packages and found out the woman he was delivering packages to, it was her birthday, she couldn't gather with her family, and he opens up his voice and sings happy birthday to her. It, it's the parades of people, the socially distant parades, celebrating those who recovered from COVID coming out of the hospital. It was the story of a 99-year-old man in England who started walking across his garden to raise money for Britain's National Health Service. He wanted to raise 1,000 pounds. That's about $1,250. But to his surprise, 24 hours after he started this like walk to raise money, He'd raised about $8,750. In the next week, donations leapt to $1.2 million. And when he finished his final lap, two weeks after, after he'd started, the figure hit $15 million. Now, what, what caught people's attention about some good news were just these incredible stories of normal people demonstrating extraordinary compassion. Compassion is big news. In, in a world that's filled with meanness right now, and comparison, and, and name-calling, and apathy. Compassion is big news. It matters. And today, I want to focus our attention on this passage. The contrast between this, the story of blindness and sight, judgment and compassion. You know, Jesus was a man of compassion. As I said last week, the gospel writers had to coin a phrase when they saw Jesus. They coined the, the word compassion in Greek. That word didn't exist in Greek, in ancient Greek, or even in the Septuagint, the, the translation of the Old Testament in Greek. There was no word for it until Jesus came along. The, the gospel writers coined this as they saw Jesus. Uh, some famous theologians have said things like this, the motion, the emotion, which we most frequently attribute to Jesus, is no doubt compassion. Or here's another one. Jesus reveals in an exceptionally human life, what it is to live a divine life, 
a compassionate life. In other words, I think Jesus would have been on every episode of SGN of Some Good News. Let's, let's take a look. Before we look today at the compassionate one, we're going to look at two counterexamples of compassion, of what it means to be uncompassionate from John 9. Let's look at these. First, it's the disciples. Look at verses 1 through 5. No, notice the scene. Jesus and the disciples are passing by. They're, they're on their way somewhere else. And Jesus uh, and the disciples respond very differently to a man that they both see. Verse 1, it says, Jesus sees the man. And the verses that follow, the disciples do something. They also see, but their response is different. They discuss the man. Jesus sees, they discuss. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. They discuss the blind, the blind man. They analyze his situation. They postulate about what are the causes behind this man's condition. Uh, they want to know the backstory. They want to know what caused him to, to be in this condition. So they think things like this. Maybe this was somehow God's punishment for something his parents did wrong. Or, or even more humorous, I, I think this one's really funny. They say, well, what about it's the blind man? And we're, it's told this is a man born blind. So I can't imagine how a baby in utero could have done something that deserves blindness. But this is it's almost laugh, laughable how ridiculous their question is. But I mean, don't we do this all the time? I have a family member who used to love people watching and would point out a person and ask the rest of the family the question, diagnosis? Which means, hey, what's the story there? I mean, we, we do this all the time. What's so wrong with discussion or analysis? Their analysis was, and I would, I would say still is, a pretty convenient way of remaining aloof from this person, from the blind man. Analyzing provides the, the disciples with a safe, kind of tidy world where that keeps, it keeps everything in its place. They can engage, but not engage. They can see him, but not get involved. Uh, it's, it's one thing to notice the blind man. It's another thing to actually get to know him. It's another thing to engage him. You know, he might ask me for something. Or who knows, this blindness might be catching in some way. You know, the disciples see this man as a problem to solve, not a person to know. And their grid, either he or his parents are to blame for their condition. And they, they just need Jesus' help in figuring out the Rubik's Cube. They're just trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, help us figure out what went wrong here. And they show themselves by doing this. They show themselves to be blind, in a sense. They're blind to this man seeing him even as a person. I mean, case in point, did you notice where they were when they were discussing this man? They're right in front of him. They're right there. As if his problem was that he was deaf, not that he couldn't see. I mean, he's right there. He can hear everything that's going on. And Jesus cuts through their analysis uh, by telling them that the blind man didn't fit in either of their boxes. You know, the disciples see a blind man. Jesus sees a man born blind. Uh, the disciples see an item for debate. Jesus sees an image bearer of God. The disciples see a tragedy, and they're trying to figure out who's the villain. Jesus sees a story half told, and he says the best is yet to come. That's what he sees. If you grew up with the Bible, maybe you know the story of the Good Samaritan the man who is robbed and beat up and left on the side of the road, and three people pass. There are two religious figures, and then there's the Samaritan. 
And the Samaritan gets involved. He gets his hands dirty. You know, anytime we engage another person with compassion, it's going to cost us something. And this is what's hard. This is why many times it's easier to analyze or discuss because it's always going to cost you something to, to engage another person with compassion. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you bother. It's going to cost you money. Compassion costs. Analysis blinds. Maybe that's why we go to analyzing so quickly. It makes us feel like we're doing something at least. You know, I think it's the, true that we often notice things that are wrong with other people. Or we notice things that are different. But here's the question. What do you do after, after that initial look? Does that initial look lead you to compassion or analysis? Compassion and analysis are two very different ways of seeing another person. And I wonder, do you wonder this? I wonder what this man thought about the conversation that happened. I wonder if he was like, yeah, I've heard this before. What's wrong with me? And yet, I wonder if he was startled at how the conversation turned. Because here, Jesus says and vindicates this man. He didn't do anything wrong. His parents didn't do anything wrong. And I wonder how surprised he was to hear Jesus say about him, look, this is an opportunity for God's glory. Actually, God's been involved in this, and God is going to rejoice in this. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like for him? You know, the second group that we see or that are sort of the counterexample of compassion are the Pharisees. Look at this, verse 13 through 17. And I got to caution us, you know, uh, we have to be careful, especially if you've been around the Bible for a while, when you hear the word Pharisee. I think that we don't even really hear that. You know, Pharisees, we tend to think of them as the bad guys. Uh, they were actually, in the first century, the good guys. These are morally upright, good people who love God's word and were trying to do it and live it. You know, a lot of times I think when we hear about the Pharisees, we, we have kind of wrong narratives about them. It is not true that the Pharisees thought that you could earn your salvation. It's not true that the Pharisees were the morality police. It's not true that the Pharisees hated parties. It's not true that they were concerned to make sure that no one was having a good time. None of that is true about the Pharisees. Those are all mischaracterizations. And it's easy to sort of cartoonify your New Testament. Instead, this is what I want you to think. Uh, think about it. The truth is that every person who comes to our church, every person who's part of CTK, if you want to find yourself in the pages of the Gospels, you know, you want to figure out who you are in these stories. Most often, we're the people who would have fit into category Pharisee, right? These, that's true. This is, these are our kind of people. These are people who loved God, who loved his word, who wanted to do what's right. And the Pharisees here are deeply offended by Jesus. You see this in verse 16. Do you hear the real beef with Jesus? It's that he healed on the Sabbath day. And we'll talk more about this in two weeks, but their concern about Jesus breaking the rules keeps them from seeing. I mean, it's remarkable in this passage how blind the Pharisees are. They're, they're cross-examining this blind man, and the formerly blind man is rather astute in his observations. Uh, we didn't read this part, but the Pharisees cross-examine him two times, 
And the second time, the blind man kind of gets more and more salty with them. You know, he, he's like, it's surprising that you keep asking me all these questions. Do you want to become his disciple? Uh, you can hear the sarcasm come, come out of the page. Or um, they say, they say, we don't know where this man Jesus comes from. And he says, well, now that's a remarkable thing. You're the religious leaders of Israel and you don't know where this man comes from? This man has done something like nobody else has ever done before. And you don't know where he's come from? He comes from? And finally, the Pharisees just have had enough. And they finally just judge him and kick him out. They say to the blind man, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? I want you to think about this. Judging is one of the most delicious of human activities. I mean, we, all, we all do it, and we, we do it because we think we know better. We think we sit in this exalted place where we can see what other people don't see. We're able to kind of see through other people. And that's why judgment is the arch enemy of compassion. They can't coexist in the same place. Chuck Swindoll is a famous preacher and a pastor and a radio personality. He was speaking one time at a week-long week camp in California every night um, years ago, and, and a man came to him and said, Dr. Swindoll, I, I, I've been I've waited so long for this week, I'm going to eat up everything you have to say. And Swindoll thanked him, and so the camp started, and Sunday night, the man's sitting right there in the front row, and wouldn't you know it, he falls asleep nods off in the middle of Swindoll's sermon. And Swindoll's thinking to himself, well, you know, he's had a long trip. Maybe this is just, he's had a long drive today. He's tired. Um, but Tuesday night comes around and the man's head is nodding in the front pew again. Wednesday night, same thing. Front pew, sound asleep. Thursday night, same thing. Friday morning, though, the woman who was sitting next to this man came to Swindoll and said, hey, I just want to thank you for your ministry this week. You know, my husband has been dying to come here, and, and I'm just really sorry. I want to apologize. I know he's been falling asleep on you, but he has two weeks to live. He has a ter his terminal cancer, and the, the doctors have given him just a couple of weeks. And when we heard that you were coming to speak, we had to be here. This is my husband's dream. He said, I've got to hear Chuck Swindoll. But you see, the, the medicine that they've given him makes him really sleepy. It knocks him out. And I just want to apologize for that. I, but I want you to know that you've made this one of the best weeks of his life. Swindoll said, I wanted to crawl under the chair. Right? Because his, his, he, he just realized his blindness and the way he'd been judging this man all week long. Judgment always precludes compassion. They can't coexist in the same, same atmosphere. You know, it's, judging is easy. It's a, it's a quick thing. It feels good. It, it, it's, you can make a decision really quickly. Compassion requires to slow down and ask questions. It, it, it requires us to be thought-filled. You know, I don't know if you've heard the name Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen um, famously was on the faculty at Harvard University and quit that uh, to care for disabled adults. And a lot of his peers thought that was, you know, suicide with regard to his career, professional suicide. But he saw it differently. And this is what he wrote. And I apologize for how long this is. But he says, in order to be of service for others, we have to die to them. 
That's a strange thing to say. Let me explain what it means. He says that is we have to give up measuring our meaning and our purpose and value against the yardstick of other people. To die to our neighbors means we stop judging them. We stop evaluating them. And thus, we're free to actually be compassionate toward them. Compassion can never coexist with judgment because judgment always creates distance, which prevents us from really being with another person. Jesus said, do not judge and you will not be judged yourselves. But in that phrase, he gave us the secret to compassion. I love that. He gave us the secret to compassion, not judging, to give up on judging. So you have these two counterexamples. You have the disciples who are blinded by their analysis of this man. You have, you have the Pharisees who are blinded by their judgment of this man. And then you have Jesus. Jesus, the one who sees. From the very first part of this passage, that's the little statement that's given to us. Jesus sees the man, verse 1. And he also sees more than that. He sees not only this man's physical blindness, he also sees the Pharisees' spiritual blindness and the disciples' spiritual blindness. I've always wondered about this. Maybe, maybe you have too. Why did Jesus make the mud? You know, there's, there's so many other places in the Gospels where Jesus can heal with a word or with a touch. Another person touches his garment and they're healed. Why did Jesus spit on the ground and make mud out of it? I mean, it's kind of a gross scene. Jesus takes it and puts it on the man's face and you know, it's, it's kind of odd. You know, I've looked back while studying for this, and there's so many different theories about this over centuries. And people saying, well, maybe the, maybe the saliva represented his humanity and the, the mud represented his deity. Or I don't know what about all those things. But as I thought about this, I think it's much more simple. For a person who cannot see Jesus, this is Jesus letting the person know he's there and that Jesus sees him. Think about this. He touches him. And not only does he touch him, he touches him on his face. Now, if, if you've watched blind people learning, recognizing another person, they put their hand on another person's face to recognize their features. But touching a face is so intimate. Who touches your face? Very few people touch your face. This is why a slap to the face is such an insult, because our faces, that's such a place of intimacy. And I, I think that this is all there is behind all the mud. Jesus making this mud and putting it on him. He's touching the man. He's saying, I see you. You're, you're a person to me. I have compassion on you. He touches him on the face. Jean-Paul Sartre once, once said, one of the most unnerving things, experiences of life, is to be looking through a peephole in a door and to realize that someone's looking through the peephole at you. You know what a peephole is? It's a little round glass thing. And someone looking, you're look, you go up to the door to look through and you realize there's an eyeball right there. Someone's looking back at you. You know, this is the unnerving thing about Jesus. We see over and over in the Gospels, Jesus seeing us. You know, this is what's happening in the story. It's all about blindness and sight. But Jesus sees right through. You know, he sees the disciples when they're not able to see this man. Jesus sees the Pharisees when they don't see this man. Jesus looks, but his look is one of compassion. Here's what's shocking to me about John 9. 
It's not simply an account of Jesus' compassion for this blind man, blind from birth. No, it's, it's like Jesus set up three giant targets, three giant bullseyes in the field. And he said, I'm not just going after the blind man, not after his sight. I'm also, I'm, I've got my compassion arrows out to shoot them at the disciples and to shoot them at the Pharisees too. Jesus is ministering compassion. Let, let me show you this. Look, think about Jesus with the disciples. But Jesus engages the blind man right in front of them. They're there right in front of this blind man having a discussion about them. And Jesus does the miracle right there. What do you think they were looking at, those disciples, while Jesus makes the mud? Well, they're watching him make the mud. And what do you think they're looking at when they watch Jesus put that on the man's eyes? They're watching Jesus. They're watching Jesus show compassion. He makes them see this man. And then Jesus says a remarkable thing. He says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in them. We must be doing the works of him who sent me. We? I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, you disciples are kicked out of the disciple club. I'm going to go find me some more guys because y'all suck. Y'all are terrible, right? He does this miracle in front of them and says, we're going to keep doing it. Come on. You're exactly what I need. Now, isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? God uses blind people to show off his own light. Jesus says in this passage, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And Jesus can use anyone, even failures like these disciples. Jesus could take those who should know better, who failed to show compassion, who don't get it. Man, this is encouraging. You too, with all the ways you failed, all the times you've been blind, you failed to show compassion, you don't get it. Jesus said, come on, you're still on the team. I still need you. Seconds, Jesus has compassion toward the blind Pharisees. You know, I didn't notice this until I was preparing this sermon. But when Jesus, remember, the man has been kicked out by the Pharisees. They had the little kangaroo court. They brought him up and then they kicked him out and said, you don't know what you're talking about. You're sinful from birth. And Jesus goes and finds him. Now, you know, I guess when I've read this before, I've always thought Jesus went to the guy's house or Jesus met him in a private place. But if you look at this carefully, he goes in public to talk to this formerly blind man. And he goes in a place where the Pharisees are right there. In fact, they hear the conversation between Jesus and the blind man. They hear every part of it. Now, why is he doing this? I mean, is this like Jesus dunking over somebody and going, ah, you know, I, I got you. No, this is Jesus. He's not shaming them. There's an invitation. Again, there's an invitation. Just like with the disciples, Jesus is making a point. He's giving them a warning and an invitation. They say, Jesus, what are you saying? Are we blind? And Jesus says, look, I came into the world so that those who don't see may see. And those who see may become blind. Jesus is saying, yeah, you should know better. You know, yes, you who love the Bible, but you, even you, I've come to give compassion to you. You know, I want to just say this very bluntly this morning. Jesus loves Pharisees. Do you know that? I can attest to this. I can bear witness to the fact. The biggest Pharisee in our church is the man delivering the sermon today. This is my story. Jesus rescuing me from my own goodness. And if Jesus can rescue me, 
and use me and change me. He can do that with anybody in our church, anybody in our city. Jesus loves Pharisees. Question for you. What does it feel like to be on the receiving end of compassion? Have you ever had someone show you kindness that you knew was just so undeserved? And, and there's something about that that doesn't make you feel bad, that makes you feel okay. It's so humbling and yet so refreshing. It's so freeing. This is the heart of Jesus toward you. It's compassion. Last week, I talked about the aggressive compassion of Jesus. Today, I want to use a different word to describe his compassion. Indiscriminate. Indiscriminate. The indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. What, what is that? One writer said it this way. Take a look at a rose. It's, is it possible for a rose to say, I'm going to give my fragrance to good people and not bad people? Or can you imagine a lamp that withholds its rays, its light from a wicked person but shines it for a good person. It would cease to be a lamp. Or, or what about how indiscriminately a tree gives shade to everyone, good and bad, young and old, high and low, animals and humans, and every living creature, even to the one who cuts it down. This is the first quality of compassion. It's indiscriminate nature. And I want to remind you, Jesus is such a rose, and Jesus is such a tree, and Jesus is such a lamp. I mean, even this passage, he's called the light of the world. And look at the indiscriminate way that Jesus just pours out compassion in this passage. On the man born blind, on the Pharisees who should see, on, the, on the, the, his disciples. He says, come on, we'll keep going. Here's my question for us. You who've heard and have experienced the indiscriminate compassion of Jesus in your life. Can you pivot off that? You know, in basketball, they pivot. They plant one foot and turn. Can you pivot off the compassion that's been shown you and give this to other people and show this to other people? You know, if I have one concrete to-do action I have for people of CTK watching this this week, brothers and sisters, it would be this request. Would you consider getting off social media till November the 4th? You know, social media hones your analysis. It, it sharpens your judgment skills toward other people, your comparison skills. You're putting people in boxes, especially, I'm just, my appeal is get off of social media until this horrible election is over. It's not gonna do any good to your soul. In fact, it's gonna make you think only bad thoughts of people who formerly you've thought of as friends. You're gonna divide people into camps and it's just gonna make it really hard. It's gonna make you really blind to be able to offer compassion. So here's my request in a positive way. What would it look like for you this week to follow Jesus, the light of the world into dark places to other blind people? You know, what would it look like? Can you have compassion for other disciples? For other disciples like Jesus did. Those who are like, this, they should know better. Can you have compassion? Can you have compassion for Pharisees? 
like Jesus did. You know, the ones who are offended by Jesus. Can you have compassion for, for them? Can you show indiscriminate compassion? Can you move this week toward other blind people? You know, as good as some good news was, John Krasinski's show, you know, it was short-lived. It was only eight weeks. And I, I, I personally felt, my family felt the letdown from that. I know a lot of people did. We we're like, we want this to keep going. But see, the opportunity for us, the Church of Jesus Christ, who know lots of good news, you know, we have an opportunity to keep this going. Would you help make compassion normal again? In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you, and Lord, your word is hard at times. It shows us the hard places in our hearts. It shows us places where we are judgmental, quick to dismiss other people. Father, I pray that you'd bring us conviction of sin, hope, renewed hope in the grace of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that we would have Jesus' eyes this week. For those around us. Lord, lead us out into this world in compassion. We pray in your name. Amen.